Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You hear the music so you know what time it is. The Hang Time Podcast. Seku Smith here at our headquarters in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, up in Jersey. Shu, glad to have you back in a safe, quiet place. And we're joined this week on the show by one of our oldest and most trusted compatriots, a guy that we feel good traveling on the other side of the world with, USA Today Sports, is Sam Amick. You know his work. Been on a West Coast ride for years covering the league. Sam, how you doing, my friend? Morning, gentlemen. I yes, mean, right out the there. gate, say cool. It is morning, yeah, 100%. You know, you got to call me oldest. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the backside of 40 and it's already hurting. You Boom. know, but we're, all all right. there. we're all there. The aches and pains, Sam. The aches and pains are real. You roll out of the bed slowly and put one foot on the ground at a time and hope nothing pops. Nah, nah, we're good. Sam, before we dive into our West Western Conference summer rankings, the NBA schedule has been released. At least the key dates so far for the 2018-19 season have been announced. Opening night, Sixers and Celtics kick it off. Thunder Warriors on TNT in a, in a monster doubleheader. Christmas Day games, which are always important for people. The Bucks versus the Knicks kick it off at noon. Thunder Rockets, Sixers Celtics, Lakers Warriors. Finishing it off with the Blazers and the Jazz and the Martin Luther King Day games, which always highlight the schedule. Pelicans, Grizzlies, Rockets, Sixers, Warriors, Lakers. Now, this is for both you guys. Does this surprise you how it's been structured or are you stunned at all at some of the teams you see or don't see listed on those marquee days? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit. We kind of talked off air about it a little bit. It's not the kind of thing that I typically am going to get real worked up about. I, I don't argue, though, with two basic ideas, maybe three that come to mind. For one, you know, the absence of the Spurs. We know the small market, but, you know, that is a rarity. I, I saw on Twitter yesterday that Jeff McDonald, longtime beat writer for the San Antonio Express News, given context and just saying, yeah, this is definitely new. And now it's the post-Kawhi Leonard Spurs with DeMar trying to get comfortable and, and they couldn't find themselves out of the schedule anywhere. I was kind of disappointed that there's not really a marquee Warriors-Rockets matchup. I yeah. mean, that was an incredible conference finals. And, you know, I don't understand why they wouldn't find a home for that. And then, you know, the one that our, our buddy and colleague, Tim Bontemps, had written about a little bit at the Washington Post is the Knicks. I, I don't argue with the idea of the Knicks still getting that prime real estate on the schedule, despite the fact that their team is, is not yet relevant. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a market thing. We all know why, but it's a little bit disappointing. I think it's also an arena thing. You know, let's have a Christmas game at Madison Square Garden, you know, <laughs> and bring a star. Sure into Madison Square Garden for Christmas, yeah. you know. I think if you're going to have five games, you know, I think there's an opportunity for, hey, let's be in New York on Christmas and let's put one of our top stars there. And Giannis Antetokounmpo certainly qualifies in that regard. Yeah, I don't know where this notion that, you know, you have to have some Christmas Day game or opening night game to validate your startup. I mean, there's 30 teams. Not everybody has a comparable star. You know, in terms of who commands the spotlight, I understand the Raptors have never 
move the needle from a rating standpoint. The Spurs, for as great as they've been, have never really been a ratings monster. Right. I understand the, the difficulty for the schedule maker, and I'm defending the schedule maker here, which is usually not my bag to defend anybody, but I understand it's a difficult thing, and you've got to pick the stars you think that will resonate. I think Sixers Celtics on opening night is a no-brainer. And the drama between Thunder and Warriors is always going to be, as long as Russ is breathing and right. Kevin Durant's breathing, that's always going to be something that people pay attention to. The Christmas Day lineup, there are a lot of teams having worked on Christmas for the last however many years. I'd be glad to see my team not playing on Christmas. That means you get a little bit of break. <laughs> you can just sit at home and watch and relax and enjoy it. I'll say this, too, real quick. Sekou is to piggyback off that. And I wish I had the numbers in front of me. One of my other thoughts as far as you talk about just working on Christmas Day, and I think we probably all agree that, you know, the fans look at these guys and they say, all right, they make so much money. I don't want to hear any complaining. But as long as I've covered the league, like they're human beings, you know what I mean? They have families. Yeah. But you can't take away those sensibilities just because of what their paycheck says. And, and LeBron... I guarantee you when he saw this schedule, he just shook his head and he said, all right, here we go again. I mean, LeBron has become the guy who they not only are obviously going to have on Christmas Day, but more often than not, they've got him away from home. And so, you know, yet again, and I'm sure he could have seen that coming, but last year, I remember talking with him briefly about this and a couple other reporters where he just shook his head. He's like, you know, I I know how the machine works and he's the, the big ticket item and he'll be away from home again. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, people can kind of wring their hands over that all they want. The uh, full schedule will be released on the afternoon of, of August 10th. You get the entire thing. So check NBA.com for all of that. And I'm sure people will spend their time plotting their season. I like it because we get to plot our entire work season. And uh, speaking of work, guys, the Western Conference, you know, Sam, last week we talked with Michael Lee of Yahoo Sports running down the East, which I think is going to be much more intriguing than people think. But the West, you know, there's no shortage of storylines going around the Western Conference. And Shu, you got your Western Conference offseason rankings came out on on Monday. Check those out on NBA.com as well. And we'll use that as kind of a jumping off point for our discussion I know the Rockets had the best record in the league during the regular season last year, but Shu, you've got the Warriors at number one for obvious reasons. Regardless of the records, they go into this as the top dog, and I would imagine that's on everybody's list. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're – I mean, I think you can ask the question, Warriors are the field right now as far as the 2019 championship. You know, there's other seasons where you don't start to ask that question until we get late in the season. Um, but right now I think – I would take the Warriors over the field right now for the 2019 championship. I mean, that's where it starts. And, you know, we'll see a couple months in how much the regular season matters to them. I think the addition of DeMarcus Cousins adds a little bit of intrigue to the regular season, but we don't know when he's going to come back. You know, we saw it last year where it became, you know, where the grind uh, really sort of wear on them. And you can even say boredom was a factor. It's certainly possible another team will have a better regular season record. I don't think the Rockets will be as good, but, you know, they could still certainly, Mm -hmm. maybe there were seven games better in the regular season last year, but I don't think that really matters with Golden State. Yeah. Sam, you see them as much or more than anyone. Does the boredom factor get eliminated for the Warriors this season after what they dealt with last year and kind of the adversity they went through and the injection of Boogie Cousins maybe into the mix? Yeah, I think so. I've kind of enjoyed kind of watching the psychological aspect of this Warriors team year in and year out. Like for me, it's the closest that I've seen to, you know, I did not cover the old Bulls teams that had, you know, separate three-peats and 
and kind of the stuff that Steve Kerr has talked about where the, the kind of psychological component, the, the mental will that it takes to stay sharp, stay focused. For me, this is, this is that. And they've gone from being the best thing since sliced bread, 67 wins, then pushing ahead to 73, then getting Durant. And I think what they go into this year learning the hard way and, and probably having learned from and, and going to evolve from is just that it is one thing to mentally tell yourself that we're going to dial it back and prioritize the playoffs and kind of take that calculated, pragmatic approach like they did last regular season to kind of realize that the emotional component is not nearly that simple, if that makes any sense. What happens is you lose more games than you're used to losing. And then you find out that when your head hits the pillow that night, you're not happy. And (laughs) over time, over the course of all these months where these, again, the human factor, where these guys are breathing the same oxygen and, and sharing a room, that is so intimate like a locker room, what happens is you have a little bit of a, a pent-up frustration that I think they underestimated last year. And it you know didn't end up boiling over to the point of the mission not getting accomplished. You know, they got another champions for the third time in four years. But I, I do think it's going to be a different vibe going into this year. I think it would have been anyways. But then you add in the DeMarcus thing which I think it's kind of like just a welcome distraction in terms of something new to figure out, something new to even in the locker room to figure out. Uh, you know, He's probably not going to play until December, January, wherever it might be, but it's going to feel a little more fresh. I don't know if they're going to win 70 games, but I don't think they're going to take nearly as many nights off as they did last year. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be something very unique. The last time we saw a true dynasty, and I don't want to take away from what the Heat did when they had – LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh, but this Warriors run feels more dynastic, if that makes sense right. to me, because I don't see I don't see the cliff coming. I don't see an end. With the Heat team, we knew they were done. I mean, the, the Spurs cooked them in that last finals. They, they went head-to-head in those back-to-back years, and it kind of felt done, like they were going to have to come back with something completely new in Miami, even if LeBron stuck around. This Warriors team, it's fascinating to me to see how you figure out a way to keep this thing going when there is no reasonable end in sight like that. Sure. They're all their, their guys, the core guys are in the primes of their careers. You know, Steph just got his big deal. I know Draymond and Clay will be coming up in terms of free agency the next few years. KD is basically a free agent every summer, but it just doesn't feel like there has to be any end to this group anytime soon, which makes it a totally different monster than what we've dealt with. I think back to the, the Shaq, Kobe Lakers before that thing that train went off the tracks that's the feeling I have with them I'm thinking they're going to be able to compete for championships as long as they stay together and stay you know on the same vibe to me the Warriors have a better outlook long term than even that pairing did because of the relationships that Steph Draymond Clay KD Andre Godala that their core group of guys have did anybody in the West do enough to rattle the Warriors Sam you know do you think Somebody did something that made the Warriors perk up and say, oh, man, we got to be on alert for this team. Or is it are they still in that same mode where they're looking within first and foremost in terms of how they get themselves motivated for another season? I mean, I think they're mostly looking within. I'm going to cheat. And, you know, I I pulled up John's rankings (laughs) just to dig in a little bit while we're sitting here talking. And I mean, my thought would be this. The Rockets, I think we all agree, it's either a mild step backwards or a significant step backwards. And, and then you got differing opinions on how Melo is going to fit into that group. The two teams that come to mind, if you're the Warriors for me, OKC at minimum guaranteed that they're still there just by getting Paul George to re-up. And they're, you know, they're going to have to figure out how good they're going to be. But 
it's not going to be what we thought it might be, which could have been Russell Westbrook on an island by himself, right. doing Paul heading to Lake Lane somewhere else. So OKC is still there, and I'm a pretty big proponent of just the chemistry idea year two with these guys together. Paul, I think, signing long-term really helps in terms of just sending that message to the rest of the guys on the team that, that we're trying to build something here. They got Andre Robertson back, and, and that is a major factor. You know, you can't forget, I know it's only one regular season game, but there was that one game last year where the Thunder just boat raced the Warriors, and yeah. you know you have seen little sample sizes like that where you say, all right, maybe the matchup could be tricky for Golden State. So I think OKC is there and is going to be better. I think Utah had a relatively quiet summer from the standpoint of, you know, they held on to their guys, and I think they were smart to do so. But we are, I think, nationally already overlooking them again. Yeah, yeah I think they're going to be legit. I mean, they're really – they've got a fantastic foundation. they got the coaching. they got the good front office. They got a dy- you know, dynamic star in Donovan and, and Rudy doing his thing. So those are the more legitimate teams for me because – and Houston's not going away. I mean, they Chris Paul can stay healthy, which is a major, major factor. Then they're right there too. Once you get past that group, you know, and, and with maybe the Spurs being an extract, like a, let's see how DeMar fits in, I don't think the Warriors are – all that worried about anybody in the West. <laughs> John, I'm just going to tell you straight up, your Eastern Conference uh, so rankings. The West is harder. I'll tell you that. I mean, especially when you get to five through ten. I think fair, <laughs> I, I write, I'm happy with one through four. I think right. Houston, I'm good with at number two, even though they lost to Reza. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, they were so close. I mean, I, I wrote it this week is that in these four years at the you know Warriors sort of dynasty, the biggest what if is probably the Draymond Green suspension, right? Like what if he doesn't get suspended? Mm-hmm. Not only because it affects that series, but also maybe uh, affects Kevin Durant's okay. free agency a couple of weeks later. Sure. But Chris Paul's injury is huge. I mean, that's a, a huge what if that we're going to, you know, look back and realize how close this team was. And, and they had big leads, even with Paul injured, they had big leads in, in games six and seven early in those games, but they still right. led by 15 in both of those games. And then Utah, I think is really, really good. They had the third best point differential in the West last year. They brought everybody back except for Jonas Jurepko. Their best offensive player should be better. Right. I mean, he was a rookie last year. And I think, you know, the summer after rookie year is a, is is a player's you know most important summer, yeah. the, the, his biggest chance to make a big leap. And I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be even better this year. And, and we forget that Rudy Gobert also, you know, missed a bunch of games last year, too. So this team can be really good. I just had to go back and remind myself they beat Golden State three out of four in the regular season last True. year. You know, I don't think. The Warriors are thinking about the Jazz much when they go to bed at night, but I think it's a team that we definitely definitely could be the second best team in the West. Second best. I think this is a really really good team. They have second best a star on offense, a guy who's a threat on offense. It's going to make defenses. It's going to scare defenses. Mitchell has to get better with his sort of pull up shooting. If he does that, that opens up things for for everybody else. Defensively, they were miles ahead of every other team in the league once Gobert came back uh, last year. So just because they don't have the stars that other teams have, uh, I think they can be really, really good. I mean, they're still a, a huge step below, but I, I put them ahead of Oklahoma City right now. You put them ahead of several teams. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you had the Lakers and Spurs as low as you did. The Lakers are um, impossible to figure out, and we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit. 
I know, but what else? Like they they're they building the around him in such a different way than the Heat and the Cavs did over the last seven years, seven or eight years. The vets that they brought in, that the Lakers brought in, do not fit with LeBron, at least offensively. They can't shoot. The yeah. talent that they already had is all young, you know, and unproven. And the Lakers could finish out of the playoffs. I, you know, I think it's a possibility. They could finish as high as fourth or fifth. They can finish as low as tenth. Because I don't know what they are. That's the. That's why I said this. Right, this I don't want to jump. Was to tougher to figure much. out. Not only because of the Lakers, but because of you know what a, a couple of these other teams have done. Portland with you know so. All right. Well, look. I put it to you this way, Sam. I don't trust the the Thunder. I couldn't buy stock in the Jazz being an ascending team. I don't trust, though, the Thunder, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets couldn't even get into the playoffs last year. I don't trust these teams to jump past the Spurs or the Pelicans necessarily in the rankings. What, are you convinced Oklahoma City's ready for this ascension? Uh, you know, just because they kept Paul George? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that it can't be worse. And barring injury, you know, yeah. they're, they're going to have an uptick. The, the Robertson factor is real. If, if we did a power rankings of most impactful, least known players in the league, he would be on the short list. You know, right. last year, Paul George was a short list guy for defensive player of the year. And all of a sudden, Robertson disappeared and everything changed about the OKC defense. And, and it's not a sexy storyline, but that is what happened to them in the second half of the year. They stopped defending and then they couldn't stop teams and they were in trouble. I'm buying OKC to a degree. It's just a question of where the ceiling is. We have so many unknowns. I think what John's hitting on is that. LeBron is certainly LeBron. I'm not going to handicap him falling out of the playoff picture, but I have no clue what to think of that group and what they're going to become. I don't have much clue what to think about the Spurs. I mean, you have so many layers to that situation out there. You still got veterans, you know, in town with Powell trying to be part of it. Rudy re up, uh, Rudy Gay re up, and no Tony Parker, Dejounte Murray having to take the mantle. And Demar is, I think, a tremendous player, but we've seen him in a Raptors uniform. In that system, in that environment with Kyle Lowry by his side for a long time, I think it's going to take him some time to figure out who he is in San Antonio. So there's a ton that's uncertain. The Utah thing, again, I keep cheating on you guys here because I I am buying big on the Jazz like John. And, Hmm. you know, the idea that they could be second in the West, and he just to throw this straight off your guys' website, NBA.com slash stats, I mean, you know, 29 and 6, from late January down the stretch, and, and more importantly, that net rating. So that's the best, right there with the best record in the NBA, but that net rating was plus 12 with the second-best team, a plus 9.6. I mean, they dominated for a long time in that second half of last year, um, but, you know, we shall see. Don't get me wrong. I liked what I saw from the Jazz down the stretch. I covered that Jazz Rockets series. They had the Rockets nervous. Right. You know, they really did. But, man, we all know that this league, you know, at the end of the day, hinges on star players. I mean, and they've got – the Jazz have a true future star in Donovan Mitchell. But, like, I don't know if I'm ready for Joe Ingles or Rudy Gobert to qualify as that kind of a game-changing number two to Donovan Mitchell that they they leapfrog some of the other teams. I guess the potential, of course, is there. I'm not certain – that it becomes what we think it could. We've talked jazz. We've talked a little bit about the Thunder. John, you got the Timberwolves at five. This is where it starts to get sketchy. The way they flamed out. <laughs> yeah, the way they flamed out in the playoffs last year in the first round. And the 
craziness we've seen in the offseason, the, the rumblings about whatever the chemistry issues might be, you know, with Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. We don't know where his mind is, you know, coming back, uh, whether or not he's ready to take another step in his development. Is, is that ambitious for Tibbs? You think that's on the ambitious side for him and his team to be considered a top five team in the West? I'd have to go back and double check, but I think they were a top five team before Jimmy Butler got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of factoring in. That's that's a factor in my thinking. Mm-hmm. I also like Anthony Tolliver. I think he's an upgrade uh, off the bench. And you got to remember, Carl Anthony Towns is 22 years old. Like he's yeah. he's going to get better. Andrew Wiggins is 23. I, I think he's going to get better. I'm not as confident in his ascension, but Towns. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it starts to click, especially on defense with him, that could make a big difference. And like I said, they were pretty sure top four or five team in the West before Butler got hurt. And that obviously right. they sunk at that point and then held on for that eight spot. So that that was the big thing in my thinking. But, yeah, I think this is a fragile team, definitely, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, Butler's ability to leave next year, sort of the chemistry um, the fact that they somehow had a top five offense without shooting many threes, like they don't, they still don't have shooting around them. They did. That's not a, a weakness that they really addressed. I mean, Tolliver, I was, I will say, is a little bit more aggressive a shooter than Bielitsa was. So I think that's an upgrade a little bit, but that doesn't really move the bottom line too much as far as their offense. So I'll be curious to see one if they can repeat their offensive success given their lack of shooting, and two if they could you know, finally take a step forward defensively under Tibbs. Sam, you look at core groups around the league and you say, well, this, you know, Philly's got this young core. Boston has this core group of guys. You know, all the true powerhouse teams have a three to four man core group of players that you look at and say, all right, they got chemistry. They got an understanding of where they fit, you know, on that team. This is the one team that should be in that mix where I question their core group and, and how connected they are. And how long they stick together? Do they make you nervous at all in terms of Butler and Towns and Wiggins and whether or not those three guys can comprise the nucleus of that group in Minnesota? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Sekou, you you know, use the word fragile. I think that describes their locker room landscape. I don't trust the group, and, and mainly because it's not a great look and a great sign when what you constantly hear out of Minnesota is this real sense that you know if you had the core guys take a, a healthy dose of truth serum <laughs> and asked them about playing in Minnesota, playing in this context with these guys, they'd probably say, no, get me over here, get me over there. You know, Jimmy is coming up on free agency next summer, and already those rumors predictably are starting. I, I'm going to steal a phrase from Draymond Green with his infamous dust-up with Tristan Thompson when <laughs> after the playoffs when he said that they're not cut from the same cloth. Right. I mean, that is my sense of this situation. I don't think that Jimmy thinks that Carl and Andrew are cut right. from the same cloth. And, you know, that outlook is probably reciprocated in some fashion. So yeah, I just don't think it's, you know, you would think that Jimmy would be able to come in and, and infuse these guys with, you know, the, the kind of the lessons on work habit, the lessons on dedication, and take them up to the next level. It doesn't seem to have happened just yet. Maybe it does take off in a positive way this year. Maybe they find a way to mend some fences. But I think a lot of the noise that you've heard out of Minnesota, when you talk to people close to it, nobody sits there and, and complains that it's all, you know, fabricated or, or off base. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty real. And I think you've got this interesting dynamic where 
when the coach is so tight, you know, with the star player like Tibbs is with Jimmy, that's another layer to this whole thing that that makes it tricky. And and so you're right. On paper, I love their core. Uh, I don't have any faith in that core taking a step forward going forward and, and it, it feels like they're flirting with uh, with having this thing get derailed a little bit i, I like denver on that at, you know in that same yeah. vein i really like denver's court i think that's a team and sure you got them at six which i think is that's a good spot i think it's it's actually where i would project them based on what i saw from them last season and what they've done in the offseason i think getting isaiah thomas for them and pairing him back up with Mike Malone is fantastic. I think that he'll be a guy who's kind of a game changer for them off that bench. Will Barton gets a big deal and moves up. Jokic, you know, gets a big deal and becomes, you know, their entrenched big man star. Gary Harris is an ascending player. I mean, they got so many young guys, Jamal Murray, that I like. But, you know, they have a bit of a, a log jam in the front court, obviously. But the one thing about them is, man, are they going to learn how to play some defense long enough to give them a chance to, you know, to reach their potential. And I don't know. It's not like they've added that defensive-minded guy that's going to change it. So it's got to be an organic thing almost. It has to happen from within. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be terrific offensively. They ranked sixth offensively last year with Millsap missing 44 games and with, you know, Jamal Murray in his second year, you know, only 21 years old. So they should only get better. But, like, with all those contracts you talked about, the pressure is up. The pressure is on now. Jokic got a huge deal. Barton got a, you know, a $12 million a year deal. And Gary Harris's extension kicked in, kicks in now. So, you know, now they're they're paying everybody and... And so the pressure right. is to to end this, you know, playoff drought that they've had. Like you said, it, it's got to start on the defensive end of the floor. I think a healthier Millsap will help. I mean, obviously, they were better defensively with him. Um, he comes from, you know, before he came to Dem- Denver, he was part of a top five defense in Atlanta. And so he's a huge part. But Jokic has got to take a step forward on that end of the floor. And the backcourt's got to be better on that end of the floor. I mean, it's not, a as Sam would say, a sexy storyline that they have to be better defensively. But that's just that's the bottom line. And uh, obviously, Isaiah Thomas doesn't really help on that end of the floor either. So that's the big question for me. And they can't count on Mill just to help having a healthier Millsap to be the answer on defense. You know, they have to they have to just be better collectively. Yeah. The team that strikes me as kind of the biggest head scratcher, and this is before we get to the Lakers or the Spurs, is the Pelicans. I really thought they hit something. You watched them in the playoffs and you see the way Rondo and Drew Holiday meshed and really found Kind of a sweet spot, just work in Portland, you know, when they swept the Blazers out of the playoffs. Um, and then this summer, they didn't they didn't knock it out like I thought they would in free agency and keeping their guys. And I was expecting them to come to Boogie with something that would keep him there. That didn't happen. Rondo leaves for the Lakers. I do like Julius Randle as an addition. I really do. But I don't I wasn't blown away with their summer. And I think Keeping Alvin was huge. Keeping Alvin Gentry, you know, there is is big for them. Did the Pelicans' summer not shape up the way you thought, Sam? Did you think they could make a bigger splash with some of these free agents? I mean, their their summer was messy, and I'd actually be curious to get your guys' feedback on. Like for me, this is we did our own offseason breakdown and, and gave these teams grades, and this was one where I, I was kind of trying to look in the mirror a little bit and answer that question of you know was I too easy on them? Because because on paper it looks pretty bad when you lose you know, a, a franchise-altering big man like DeMarcus Cousins, and then you lose your starting point guard who has all these intangibles that everybody talks about. That's about as bad as it gets. 
I think for me, it's the idea, like I'm always real big on being able to explain mm. choices, not necessarily excuse them, but, but right. understand them and why teams get them. And that's my thing with the Pelicans is I can go line by line and feel reasonably okay about the thought process behind what they did. Now, in totality, then you take a step back and you look at it and you're like, oh boy, but there was like three or four that went against you even though I understand them. And so that makes it tough. Uh, the DeMarcus thing, it was real tricky. Now, I don't know, you know, they might have mishandled it from a negotiation standpoint. You know, and my understanding is there was certainly a number put in front of him early in the process in which he knew that if he wanted to return, this is a kind of, you know, significant cash for a couple of years that would be available to him. That They then, you know, his camp then sent the message that they wanted to essentially take that number to market. And that was when the choice was made that, well, if this is kind of a take it or leave it type deal. Cause if you're going to market, then that comes off the table. And I think if they're being honest, they feel like, you know, this is the best outcome for them because they had such concern about his Achilles. They just didn't want to dedicate time lengthwise on a contract or a ton of money because they're not sure what he's going to be. And I don't blame them. There's not any I agree. evidence to, to say that he's worth you know a long-term max deal after that injury. So that I, I get. And the Rondo thing, you know, you might have differing opinions on, but you know, I know they looked at the age in a serious way. They, they understood and appreciated everything he brings to the table and who he is you know, intellectually on the floor, things like that, and then the way he makes other guys better. But they also just said, how long is he going to do this? Not only that, if you go back and let's not forget what Rondo looked like in the regular season, you know, he really had an uptick in the playoffs. But, you know, they, they can't afford to have anybody ignore the regular season, and he didn't have a great regular season. I like Randall a lot. I think that's one of the better under-the-radar pickups of the summer, so that helps them recover a little bit. I mean, I gave him a C plus. You know, I think a lot of folks would have given him worse, but it was a tricky summer for New Orleans. Yeah, and I don't want to go overboard here in my examination of the Pelicans, but does it say something about Anthony Davis that maybe he needs to be a bit more vocal about wanting to play with or wanting the the Pelicans to be able to attract that other star? And I and I think everybody knows I'm super high on Drew Holiday. Have been since he was in Philly when he made an All Star team. I think he's more than capable of being your second or third guy, but I feel like we haven't heard Anthony Davis put the pressure on about, hey, I need some more. I need somebody else. Another, And he got that in Boogie. Boogie's gone now. But we haven't heard right. him be vocal about the fact that you're not winning at a high level in this league right now with just one or two stars unless it's LeBron James. Like everybody else that's competing at the highest level has – bunch of stars or at least two to four quality high-level players that put you in that position and I don't feel like Anthony Davis has kind of beat the drum for that and maybe he shouldn't maybe I'm wrong maybe he shouldn't be the one that has to go out and do it maybe the Pelicans should recognize it and do it anyway but to me that seems like it's missing from the equation in New Orleans right now shoot I mean I'm not going to blame a guy for not publicly Trashing his team, not tra- trashing is too strong of a no, word. I'm not saying yeah, trash, I'm just publicly pressuring, yeah. pressuring his team to do more on the personnel front. That doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows what he's doing behind closed doors. Right. And yes, you're right. Like, it's on the team to do what they need to do. And, and you know, they've hamstrung themselves with salaries um, really up until this point. You know, next year they'll have a little bit of flexibility with a bunch of these guys coming off the books. 
But, you know, like I said, I think they've just been sort of hamstrung in salary-wise. I mean, they had to re-sign Drew Holiday, and if they they didn't exactly have space to now go sign somebody else. So I think that's been the the issue, is is more about their books than any lack of desire to to improve the team. I mean, that makes sense. I should should probably calm down and criticize. Dale Dempsey? No, I mean, I... I I think it's just a personality thing, guys. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you look at like Damian Lillard. Damian from day one has been yeah. the kind of guy where he's like, I'm going to push it. I'm going to say a few things publicly. Seems I don't blame him at all, but seems to you know he wants to make sure that ownership is putting the pedal to the metal and front office is doing what they want to do. But I don't know if you can argue that that's had any tangible impact on the roster. You know, I don't know if it always works. You know, with AD, he obviously personality wise, he's the kind of guy that. He kind of like when Demarcus was in the fold. Then you heard him get more vocal about how important it was, how you need stars, and this is why Boogie is important for us. And, and he was all in when Demarcus was there. And then when Demarcus was gone, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I read that he made a comment not too long ago that he was calling Drew Holiday like the best two-way player in the league. You know, where he's I think he's like he he uplifts the guys who he plays with at the time. Yeah. I think that's his mo. That's the way he's wired. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens for him down the road. I do think Davis took a step forward on the floor this past season. I thought, especially right after Cousins got hurt, he was more aggressive offensively, um, really took everything a little bit more seriously, and I think he he took a step forward. So I think that's um, a positive. You're right. One of my – I know we're going to move on. One of my favorite things about AD and just covering him is hearing other stars – talk about him and what John just hit on what yeah. what he has evolved into on the floor I always listen closely when guys talk about AD because you hear their tone of voice change and you hear <laughs> their perspective like they I mean he is he is a short list guy and I'm yeah. talking he's a freak you know, show. top three four he's yep. a freak show that that makes like whether it's Kevin Durant or LeBron yeah. like it's other guys who are all-time greats when they talk about him, they just shake their head and go, my God, like what this guy can do. It's funny you mention that. I remember in London in 2012 Olympics, the buzz was already growing. He had slipped onto that roster when Blake Griffin got hurt. Some other guys weren't able to make it. And so it, every time he did something in practice or every time he got a chance to play in games during the Olympics, the, the veteran guys were freaking out. And I say this all the time, the players know better than anybody right. who, who's legit right. and who's next. Like, who are right. the dudes that are – you saw the way they treated Donovan Mitchell last year before, I think, the attention of the entire basketball public got on. He was getting right. love from players at the end of games where they were going up to him like, yo, like, <laughs> this dude's on another level. And AD, as you mentioned, Sam, I think that's a great point, garners that kind of attention and has since he came into the league from his peers, which is, I think, extremely important when you're talking about the pecking order of stars in this league. Speaking of which, John Schumann. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You, you're officially banned from Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. You better watch your back in L.A. You got the Lakers at eight. Right in the middle. See, I eight. can't figure out, so I just stuck them right in the middle of the conference. <laughs> eight out of 15 is, you know, 17. I mean, he's got to make it the playoffs. He was talking about. Barely. <laughs> Barely. He I mean, was talking about not making the playoffs earlier. <laughs> this is LeBron James we're talking about, you. Where would you have him? Third? Where would you put them? I think they would be – I could see them getting as high as five okay. easily. Potentially four. We're as talk, high, look, last year, the as high three, as five doesn't mean like, hey, they're the fifth best team in this you – know. No, I'm saying, look, last year who was the third seed in the West? Portland. Portland. Do you think a LeBron James-led Lakers team with what they have right now is better 
than that Portland team from last year? Hmm. I do. I don't know. Like I said, I've, I've said it a hundred times already on this. I don't program. know how. I have no idea how to judge this team. I know, but I'm saying this is LeBron we're talking about. He's played on any number of teams that you look at and go, no way, no, no way. Just, and then the season starts. But like, and I know it's been in the East, right? I know. I know. Exactly. That's yeah. That's point but, number one. Yes, but it's still LeBron, right? But he still had Kevin he Love and or seeds. Kyrie Irving the last four years, and he's had. And he had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh the four years before that. You know, uh, those guys, those four guys I just named are all better than anybody on the Lakers right now. Right. But I'm saying you don't. What you're saying is you have the utmost faith in LeBron and yet no faith whatsoever in his supporting cast, right? And there's the defense issue. He was not a very good defensive player last year. Now, this was a good, a decent defensive team last year. The Lakers is... LeBron going to be a better defender with a with a different supporting cast around him, maybe guys who can handle the ball a little bit more, take that sort of pressure off of him. And, I mean, I wrote, basically wrote about that at the end of the season. I thought, you know, the, the loss of Kyrie Irving really hurt Cleveland last year on the defensive end of the floor because LeBron had this extra burden on offense and just had no energy, it seemed like, during the regular season at least, to play defense. And so I, I have questions on both ends of the floor of this team with this team. How is it going to work? Who's going to fit around him on offense? And then, you know, how much is he going to be an, a liability again on defense? Or is he going to step up on that end of the floor? Sam, is it a misfit uh, paradise? Are you, you, you agree it's a misfit paradise in terms of his supporting cast? Yeah, it is. No, 100%. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can argue that part. I mean, it's misfit island for sure. I mean, it, it, it read like a... An NBA version of the Onion when all these free agency transactions are coming through. <laughs> it's like Javale, bees. But the thing is, like, it's it's the one about personalities, but it's also about like if you they added Nick Young, let's say instead of Lance Stevenson, it would all be, yeah that the personality quirks are there. But at least Nick Young can shoot. Still available, yeah. by the way. I should, yes, they should pull Swaggy that trigger. P. But at least Shout Nick out. Young can Swaggy shoot. P. Like we and like that's a compliment. That's the how you yeah. compliment LeBron is with shooting, and they didn't do that. I'm gonna write that column, Shu. I'm gonna write. The Lakers <laughs> need to pick up Nick Young. But I, I do wonder, Shu, because you you've got such a, a great discerning eye, and you wrote about this in your breakdown a little bit. But what is your two cents, real quick, on the alleged strategy from the Lakers standpoint, and that idea that you know those Cavs teams were obviously built on shooting and high octane offense. But the defense lacked, and the playmakers were lacking, and so they try to flip that script. Uh, I mean, are you buying that at all, or, or do you think it's uh, it's not going to work? I'll believe it when I see it. I really will. That's <laughs> yeah. what I mean. I have no idea how this team is going to play and how good they're. I'm of be. a different mind completely. I think I think the biggest folly teams have made in trying to deal with the Warriors is to try and beat them at their own game. I think sure. it's, I think it's a I think it's a fool's venture to try and beat the Warriors. Like we're going to out score the Warriors. We're going to outshoot the Warriors when we when we get in the playoffs. My thing is, if the Lakers even for just one season, this is, an, this is a Bunsen burner season. It's a total chemistry experiment. Why not go full-blown crazy mode and put together this wacky roster and try and beat them up and beat them by physically challenging the Warriors on the other end of the floor. And, and I'm saying... I know Lance Stevenson's certifiable. I know JaVale has his many quirks. Rondo is an extremely unique personality, to say the least. But I love the young guys, Kuzma, Ingram, 
that mesh of vets, young guys, and the potential they would have with Luke Walton, to me, understanding exactly how that Warriors team works. If they were to, if this thing worked and they were to get into the playoffs, I would be interested to see what kind of problems. I know the Warriors would, would present a ton for them. I'm just curious to see what kind of problems a roster with that kind of makeup could present to the Warriors, Sam, if they were to lock up in a, in a best of seven. Yeah. I mean, I don't, to your point, I don't have any problem with teams trying to attack the Warriors with something new and something fresh. Because honestly, it's a misnomer that, I mean, for one, you talk about outshooting your opponents. I mean, the Rockets started this three-point experiment before the Warriors did. You know, yes. they were the ones with the Rio Grand Valley Vipers, you know, going <laughs> nothing but threes and layups in the, right. in the D-League and, and treating the you know their minor league team like it was the chemistry lab. And yeah. they took that to the extreme, and, and then they started adding defensive-minded pieces like, you know, Ariza and Mabah Mute and whatnot. And, and so that idea that that's a copycat approach is just not accurate. And so I don't mind the Lakers trying something different. I also, from just a professional standpoint, I'm digging the potential vibe of their team when you talk about the old heads and the young guys with a lot yeah. of talent and, you know, the energy in practice, the, the, the way they're going to try to get after it. When you got so many teams sleepwalking through the regular season, the Lakers are not going to be one of those teams. They are going to be trying to fix this thing. And, all, you know, all the while they will try to be getting LeBron as much rest as they can. So, like, I think the energy could be really good. We're going to have some flare-ups. We're going to have some stuff to write about at different points of the season because of those personalities. Um, but but it, it is still, to take it to this extreme and to be in today's NBA with, you know, this few shooters is just, that's the bottom line for me. Is I don't know how you, uh, from the math side of things, just a numbers game, I don't know how you uh, you get to the level you want to get to when, when you're not, you know, you're trading twos for threes like they're going to be. Yeah. My thing is if it's only, if it was a long-term play, then I'd be more skeptical. Sure. But the first season, and when you know you're going to have some flexibility next summer to go out and chase another star, I'm with yeah. a one-year experiment. And if it goes wrong, you can, you can blow it up next summer and be like, hey, we tried that. It didn't work. All right, now let's let's try this. Granted, it has to make sense for LeBron physically. Like, you can't burn LeBron out this year physically. and He can't do the 82 games and 40-plus minutes a night like he did in Cleveland last year with this Lakers. He can if he's not worried you about have getting to, to the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be committed, though, to changing everything. Like, if you're going to change the way you build around him, you have to change the way you ride that horse. That means I'm not grinding LeBron into the dirt like the Cavaliers did last year. Can't do it. Can't do you guys it. have specific moves with them that, that kind of – not get under your skin, but that you looked at sideways? Because for me, it, the only ones that come to mind – is, I mean, you can make an argument that, you know, they re-up Contavious Caldwell-Pope for uh, for $12 million. And that's money that I don't know if Randall would have taken it because he got two, you know, two years out of the Pelicans. But to see Julius Randall walk out the door, to see Brooke Lopez walk out the door, those are really good players. And Brooke especially can obviously shoot. Um, and the KCP component, it, I, I kind of just think it is what it is. We all know yeah. that he's repped by the same agent that right. reps LeBron and Rich Paul of Clip Sports. And so, you know, that's not real hard to kind of figure that out. But that's my only thing. If you look at specific moves, anything else come to mind for you guys that 
you think they should have done that they just didn't? No, I think it's more things that they shouldn't have done that they did. <laughs> I sure. mean, Rondo for, I, Rondo I for like, 9 million. I mean, that's a, a point guard who can't yeah. shoot. I mean, LeBron is your de facto point guard when he's on the floor. Right. Um, right. Lance Stevenson and Beasley for anything more than the minimum. That's two more that I don't get. Um, you know, I think you're spending, you know, the, you know, you're using your exceptions on those kind of guys that you should own, especially given that they're the way that they don't fit around LeBron, you should only be spending the minimum on those kinds of players, I would think. And so I think there was probably opportunities. Uh, if you take away those three moves, yeah, I think there's probably opportunities to get guys that fit better or guys with more potential. Theoretically fit better. I, I understand it only, and, I, and I'm only on board because I don't know for sure yet what Kuzma, Ingram, Ball, I don't know what they are for sure Yeah, I, that's the part. I can't wait to see if those a, guys develop around the around LeBron. Yeah, if I had a better idea of what they were, then I would have maybe taken some different risks if I was the Lakers. But wanting to preserve the opportunity to see these guys so sure. whatever that Good next thing. level of development is would have colored my opinion of how we move forward as well. I I think it's the right thing to do, even if it looks crazy wrong. Right now, I think they're doing right by those young guys just to see does Kuzma take it up to another level? Is you know is he a is he a potential all star or is he just potentially a really good role player? Um, we don't know. I don't know what the world to make of Lonzo Ball. You know, I, still I was going to say, how, how crazy is it that uh, he's about the ninth name that you mentioned? It's hilarious. went through. Yeah. It's hilarious. Because, I mean, I was kind of surprised at how much the Lakers valued Brandon Ingram. Because I haven't, while I've seen flashes, I haven't, I haven't seen stuff from Brandon Ingram that made me think, man, this guy's untouchable. Can't mess with his development right now. He's got to maintain his position as, you know, one of your pillars. I, w- I would have been... If, if it meant getting Kawhi Leonard or having an opportunity to get Paul George, which didn't matter because Sam, as you know, in Vegas, he talked about the fact that he didn't even take meetings and, and why right. he didn't allow, you know, had had moving one of those young guys meant getting my hands on a player of that caliber, then maybe I would have thought differently about how you build. But given the circumstance, I kind of like, I like the un- the unorthodox method that the Lakers are employing right now, and I'll be I'll be the first one to call it a disaster if they get, you know, thirty games into the season and cannot make it work. Um, but I, I like it in terms of just going against the grain in a copycat league, you know, where everybody from New York to Phoenix thinks they're going to challenge the Warriors by by piling up shooters. I will say this though that like you talk about thirty games in, like as as much as, I mean, I'll be fascinated to watch this team from day one. Like this is like I'm jealous yeah. of Sam living on the West Coast, to be able to watch these guys at seven o'clock, <laughs> seven thirty every night. Um, right. But I do think this is a team that will be better at the end of the season than at the beginning, just because of how much of an adjustment it is to play with LeBron. You know, we saw yeah. guys like Rodney Hood, um, you know, Jay Crowder have a hard time adjusting to it last year. Um, and so there are going to be guys on this team that have a hard time adjusting to it, but maybe, especially the young guys, um, they can figure it out by January, February, March, and, and they could be a, a, a much better team, um, in the second half of the season than they were in the first half. 
Yeah. I don't want to uh, to, to paint with I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but I, I like the point you made, Sekou, about the young guys, and I, and I see what you're saying conceptually. I would also say it's probably safe to assume that, that if you were talking to the agents of a lot of these Lakers young guys and they were being honest, they would probably say, like, listen, this developmental track just got messier for yeah. their guys. Like I can, they may not be right. We shall see. Yeah. But I could see, I could see that viewpoint, like specifically Lonzo, you know, I mean, from a media standpoint, the day that the Lakers picked up Rondo was one of my favorite of the summer from the standpoint of, they, you know, that move gets reported. And I don't ever remember a situation like this. And it kind of cracked me up where, you know, Rondo's getting picked up. And so Rondo's camp is telling the media that the Lakers told Rondo in terms of the possible uh, possibility of starting that it was best man for the job. And so that starts getting reported. Well, then naturally we kind of go to the other side and we're checking in with Lonzo's people and you had this like, yes, it was anonymous, but we all know where it's coming from. <laughs> then you had Lonzo's people firing back saying, we've never been afraid of competition. You know, it's like, man, we're three months out from training camp. <laughs> and Lonzo Ball, who was the bell of the ball, no pun intended, not too long ago. And the guy that Magic was so excited to land. And, oh, yeah. and, and now he's having like off-season media beefs with the old head point guard who's coming in. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane how much things have changed and how quickly. Yeah, it <sighs> The Lakers are a show, good or bad, but now they've truly become the the epicenter. California, by the way, Sam, you're in a great spot. It's the epicenter of the basketball universe. Um, I tell you what, I mean, the taxpayer in me doesn't feel this way, but but <laughs> I wish they would have. Uh, I wish they would have gotten that high speed train built <laughs> by this point. I'm gonna be living on Southwest. Oh man, oh, man. it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild season, no question. Um. I can't believe it took us that long to get to the Lakers, but, you know, I'm going to blame John Schumann for that. So all you Laker fans out there in, in the Twitterverse, NBA Twitterverse, go ahead and go at Shoe now about his Lakers at eighth. You know they're going to be – you know they think – the Laker fans think that their team's challenging the Warriors this year too, which makes it even more hilarious and awesome how dramatic this season's going to be. Like every matchup that LeBron has with the Rockets, Warriors – People, during the regular season, people are going to read into that what it means in the postseason. If I've learned anything covering this league for as long as I have, those things tend to not matter at all. How you you know how the Lakers play on a given night in November or December with this team and what they look like potentially once they get to the playoffs and what they've developed into by then are going to be two totally different things that you sure. can't draw a line between. So. Um, well, and to, to that point, for the fans, you know, the schedule itself is a reminder that don't get it twisted. It, it, this is a business, right? Yeah. So, so Warriors Lakers getting prime real estate on that schedule. That's a it's a business decision. They unofficially yes. knocked the Rockets out of that spot. <laughs> Same thing with the Knicks. You right. know, I mean, but basketball wise, yeah, like the, you know, the the uh, the most. I don't know, genuine award. Like, you know, the matchup that we should be seeing is Warriors Rockets. But the right. thing that has people's attention is going to be interesting is yeah. Warriors Lakers. No question. Um, we're down to our ninth and tenth spots, shoe on these Western Conference summer rankings. Um, Spurs, Blazers, very strange to see the third team, third seed from last year this low, you know, in Portland being tenth. The Spurs is understandable given what they've dealt with given what Pop has had to deal with, 
you know, since the season ended. Um, no Kawhi, obviously, adding DeMar DeRozan, trying to figure out what to do in the post-Tony Parker era. You know, all the pressure on DeJounte Murray. Do either one of these teams strike you as one that could maybe have a, a season that shocks us and, and does maybe better than we think? Sure. I think um, with both teams, I think there's a similar theme. It's it, it's My question is how much does the departure of certain role players hurt? Um, with San Antonio, um, Danny Green and Kyle Anderson, I think those departures really hurt their defense because it's just you know length on the wing and, and two really good defenders with experience. Um, but, you know, the Spurs have been a top 10 defensive team for 19 in the last 21 years. So yeah. maybe they, uh, you know, if, if Pop works his magic, they can stay in the top 10 on that end of the floor. Um, I don't think DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge fit together very well. Mm-hmm. And then with San Antonio or with Portland, I think it's another issue of losing some some of their quality depth. Uh, Ed Davis was was huge for them off the bench. So was Shabazz Napier and even Pat Connaughton to a, to a small amount. Um, those are three important guys for them off the bench. And, you know, they brought back – you know they've kept the their their starting unit together, um, but it's just a matter of uh, you know what did they lose with those role players and and did they you know even if they didn't lose those guys did are they did they take a step backwards just because the West just got a little bit stronger? Yeah, Sam, we're going we're going to hit the lightning round now with these last few teams. Um, and, and I know, we, like I said, I know this is a long one. People, hope people are driving this, you know, finishing off their summer. They got plenty to listen to us. <laughs> plenty of time to listen to us yap on about this, which we live this every day. It's funny. I was explaining to somebody. I'm going to call her out since she doesn't listen to the podcast. I was explaining to my wife the other day why she couldn't understand why uh, all these things were so important. She's like, what's the big deal with some guy changing the team this late? You know, like this day of summer, I was like, if you, you know, in the 20 years you've known me and you've never paid attention to the NBA, I was like, this is how the league evolves every summer. It changes and the right. DNA changes every summer. The Grizzlies are a team to me. I'm sh- I'm stunned at the way they've evolved over the past few years. They tried, Sam, to bridge the gap from the grit and grind era to whatever came next. And they, they failed horribly at Right. At maintaining that position. Do you see an uptick for them based on what they've done? I mean, I, I hate to say it for Grizzlies fans. I, I don't, as far as an uptick from their past, and we can't forget that they've got a relatively accomplished past, yeah. um, you know, perennial playoff contenders. And, and, you know, Mike Conley coming back, and, and he's going to be healthy in time for camp and or right around there, and that's a big deal. You know, this is a guy that, that – uh, we all know the story there that he's never been an all-star, but he's an all-star level player and that's going to help. And the, to me, the story of the Grizzlies that has made things so tough on them is, is, you know, economics come into play, market comes into play. We kind of hinted at the business component earlier. They have, they have made a decision for better or worse to, you know, to not break up the core they have, I think partly out of fear for just needing, you know, a big ticket item to, keep people in the building and that I think has played a role in Marcus all still being there. And, you know, they, they 
valued the core that they had while also surely knowing that that core was not the kind of core that was going to get you to a title contender status, you know? So I'm happy for JB Bickerstaff, you know, yeah. worked hard a long time to get some security there and be able to try to mold this group. Um, but, but I don't necessarily see an uptick uptick rather. No. Shoe, I'm, I'm curious your opinion, same thing basically with the Clippers team that, that did decide to dismantle their core. Like they said, you know what? We're done with the Lob City's um, thing of the past. I don't know what to make of the Clippers now. I know I know they're going to be a player in free agency, you know, in the summer of 19, but I'm not sure what they – they look disjointed to me just on paper. I don't know what to make of them. Yeah, I mean, I think offensively they're really – dependent on Lou Williams to just carry them. And I think that's a, you know, a tough situation to be in defensively. I, I don't think they're going to be uh, terrific. They weren't great with Deandre Jordan. They're not going to be great without him. Um, most yeah. important thing though, of course, is that Milos Teodosic is back for another year. <laughs> and that, I think that, that's all we need to say, really. I mean, neckbeard, baby, you got it. It's Next gonna be in the house. dropping dimes all year long, hopefully, staying healthy, and <laughs> and that'll be the highlight of the Clippers season. Then we see what they can do. Um, you know, obviously, you know, for me this year, for them, it's a question of do they get to a point where now they prioritize um, bringing in the putting the pulling the two guards the two young guards that they yeah. drafted and then putting and, and prioritizing their playing time over that of all their veteran guards that they have, Teodosic, um, Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly. Um, there's four guards in front of those two guys. And at what point in the season does, do they say, all right, it's time to play the kids. Yeah. See that, that part saddens me a little bit. I'll be honest. Cause I was like, Pat Beverly remains one of my favorite guys <laughs> to watch compete. And right. I'm, I'm afraid that Shu might be right, and I think the minutes might not be as plentiful as he was hoping for. Yeah, that is, I mean, when you when you go for the full blown rebuild, it, you know, you sacrifice some guys in the process. So right. it'll it'll be a curious season for the Clippers. I'm gonna tell you right now, I I know they're down at the bottom of the ranking, Shu. I, I I crazy like what the Mavericks could be potentially in a few years, and I like. I love watching the team kind of break out of whatever shell they they are into whatever they're going to be. I like this. I like Luka Doncic getting to play with Dirk at least for a season. Kind of a symbolic, if nothing else, a symbolic passing of the torch from one international star, maybe the greatest international star in league history, to another who could be you know mentioned in that breath. DeAndre Jordan finally playing there. But Sam, is Dennis Mitchell the linchpin to what they're trying to do? If you if you want to make him your lead, you know your your point guard of the future and kind of the trigger man of what you do? Yeah, I think Dennis is key. I mean, that's the big question: is, is those guys have been trying to quell that that subplot that it'll be tricky for Dennis and Luca to play together. And you know, I think on paper it's a fair question, um, but you know, we know that Dennis likes to fill it up, and, and Luca likes to help other guys fill it up in addition to do his own thing. So. I think it could work, and I'm with you as far as the Mavericks just being low-key one of the more compelling teams out there. I mean, they're like a league pass all-star, I think, potentially. The Mavs are going to be interesting, if nothing else, and you certainly hope for Dirk's sake that they give him something to enjoy if this is the final go-round. Yeah. You know, Luka is going to be the, the kind of guy that makes you flip the channel every night to see what he's doing, how he's coming along. 
And, you know, and Dennis had some fireworks moments last year. And I'm not going to sleep on Rick Carlisle, still one of the best to do it yes. in the game. And, and to his credit, it's just you don't typically see, you know, accomplished championship coaches who are willing to take a pounding in a rebuild like Rick has and stick around. And yeah. so because he's come through that fire a little bit, for his sake, I hope he gets to reap the rewards. It's a little bit, not quite the extreme by any means of a Brett Brown right. situation. But, you know, you I think stability is huge. And, and that's the one thing that franchises seem to forget all the time. And the Mavs and, and Mark Cuban hasn't forgotten that. So we'll see what Rick can do with those guys. So, and they're going to be interesting in the kind of team that could, you know, sneak up on you on any given night. Yeah. Shoot, the uh, Alex Lynn era is over in Phoenix. Um, I don't know if you'd heard about this, but it's officially ended. I, re- I remember when, and I was very critical of of him as a selection when he got drafted. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, how are we drafting a guy this high that didn't dominate or even come close to dominating, at, you know, at, at the previous level, which – so I'm not surprised that it didn't work out. Hope you know. Good luck to Alex Lynn, um, in the Lynn area. It's the Lynn Lynn Sanity Vin Sanity era in Atlanta. Um, hopefully he can kind of show us what he's supposed to be all about in a different uniform. But Phoenix is doing this again. Um, DeAndre Aiden, you know, you get a vet like Trevor Ariza who's going to be interesting. Um, brand new coach Devin Booker with a big contract. But is there anything? Is there any reason to be hopeful about what's taking place this season in Phoenix? I'm curious about um, the coaching situation. Most of all, actually, I'm just curious yeah. as to see. You know, I mean, is a, a coach that we don't know. I'm curious and has had some success on on the international level. So I'm curious to see uh, how Kakoskov is that how you pronounce it? Um, yes, changes things both offensively and defensively. Can he get the ball moving? This is a team uh, over the last five seasons that has not moved the ball very well. They've ranked last in assist percentage um, over the last five years. Um, if you can get the ball moving a little bit better, that can make Booker a more efficient scorer um, and get other guys involved. Um, and then defensively, I mean, this team ranked last on both ends of the floor last year. They got nowhere to go but up. But the question is, you know, um, how do they do that? And, you know, it's about right now starting from scratch, building a foundation um, for when these young guys um, develop, they add more young guys um, and see where they can be three or four years from now. But it starts now with a new coach and, and, and a couple of new players. It's funny. The, the new coach was on the staff in Detroit years ago. Um, he's got extensive NBA experience. That's the thing about that's interesting to me that people kind of label him. Well, he's a, you know, he's kind of an international guy and this and the other. He's got a great NBA experience. I don't know if it's going to mean anything <laughs> with that roster they got and figuring it out. But uh, but he's been around for, for quite some time. Sam, we're, we're going to finish up our, our you know view of the Western Conference here with a team you see and know very well. Um, the Sacramento Kings. And, and I really liked Marvin Bagley as their as their pick in the draft. Um, but man, I mean, you got all this young talent you've assembled over the past few years. Is there anybody that's, that you can hang your hat on as a franchise and say, this is our, this guy's going to be our bell con. We're going to ride him out of this lottery, you know, 
malaise we've been in forever and back into something serious. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the mood is in Sacramento, in Northern California, up there about the Kings and whether anybody has seen enough from these guys to be convinced that one of them is potentially a change agent for the Kings. So the uh, the cowbell franchise needs a bell cow? Is that what you're Basically. telling me? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they're interesting. You know, I talked to a GM recently that I was giving him a hard time because I said, man, he was real bullish on the Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and from the standpoint of saying that he likes how they, they're taking as many bites out of the draft apple as possible, hoping these guys obviously hit. You know, they're they're using their money, they're being somewhat discerning with their money um, this summer as opposed to last summer. And, you know, and, and he, from a GM standpoint, felt like they had a lot on their roster that was going to inspire phone calls come yeah. trade deadline. Uh, and so it's either that or, by that point, maybe you start to think that, you know, some of these young guys are actually hitting. You know, the, the local excitement, because as you guys know, I'm kind of based in between the Bay and Sacramento, right. is – is very, very Harry Giles-centric. You know, mm-hmm. he had a really good showing at Summer League. You know, tough story where he went through so many injuries coming into the league, missed all of last year. I mean, he was 100% healthy and playing ball, I want to say, like January of last year. But they, they kind of did that Joel Embiid thing where they decided, right. let's keep him out. Let's go ahead and give him a fresh start and a clear runway in year two. And so far, so good. And not only has he looked like a fairly dynamic player with a lot of potential, uh, good personality. He's a good spokesman for the team and has been out there and seems to, to want to be in Sacramento, which matters to the locals. Um, you know, we'll see. They have some subplots to, to monitor. I'm curious going forward. You know, Dave Yeager's been there a couple of years, and I think, you know, when he came to town, he was trying to push for playoff contention with the Marcus Cousins being the centerpiece, and this right. is a different challenge than the one that he thought he was going to be looking at. So, you know, I kind of continue to monitor that situation. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is, I think, Harry and De'Aaron are, are one and one A when it comes to the guys who they're hoping can kind of pop right now. And, right. You know, and then certainly with Marvin, you know, being right there as well. Right. So, you know, the, the Bogdanovich did some good things last year. I know he was a, a Schumann favorite, Best I believe. Best player on the, the team. Uh, the weekly rookie ranking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So they've got interesting players. They have like the kind of roster that a GM would find very, very interesting. The problem yeah. is that the mainstream fan wouldn't necessarily agree. Yeah, it's just, again, I'm, I don't know if it's my history with developing teams. You know, having when you watch a team go from 13 wins to the playoffs in a span of, you know, four or five years, you kind of get fixated on these reclamation projects. And I'm just – sure. The Kings is cyclical. At some point, they're going to get back in the mix and be a playoff team. I'm, I can't wait to figure out which group of guys that they've been through hits. Like, you, you sit around waiting and waiting, <clears throat> wondering which combination of players have to be in place for it to happen. What You know, because it's about timing and just, you know, being prepared when there's an opportunity, all that good stuff. And I, and I point to the Warriors all the time, a team that, you know, was figuring it out. Like, this this group they have now – didn't happen by accident. I mean, they were trying to figure it out. Things fell into place. They, you know, and and then the good fortune. Once it starts rolling, for some teams it rolls all the way, you know, all the way up. Like, I'll be curious to see how far the Kings get in, you know, in the process of getting back to relevance in the next three to four years, and if these are the guys that they have on the roster now 
who are going to be about that. And Harry Giles is, uh, I agree. I was, he was a revelation in summer league. I was, I was stunned at how fluid he looked and he, and he reminded me why people had him so highly rated when he was in high school. Um, in terms of just sheer talent, you can see the raw ability that that's there. So it'll be interesting to see what Jaeger and what the Kings do with that and, uh, and all those young guys uh, moving forward. Quick, quick addendum on that, on the Giles front guys that, that I thought was good local insider, a buddy mm-hmm. of mine, Sean Cunningham from News 10, around the team all the time. Mm-hmm. He made the point to me about Harry. He said, you know, it's been a trip is that year one, you know, Harry was pretty quiet because you guys know, like when you're injured, you don't have capital when it comes right. to your teammates. Um, and so he kind of just did his own thing. Uh, you know, by all accounts, and Sean was the one telling me this, he's like, man, this dude has gotten vocal quick. And from a leadership standpoint, he's calling guys out. Right. He's, I mean, I think he's going to be the, the kind of almost the Jimmy Butler type when it comes to just, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be that, uh, you know, that, that sand in the oyster to try yeah. to get something going here. Interesting. Interesting. This whole league is interesting. I'm, I, again, I don't ever – I thought I would get tired of it. You know, by now, like, you, you have a long season. You know what's coming in free agency when LeBron's a free agent. I thought I'd be tapped out by now. The fact that I'm still, like, every morning curious to see what happens. Where's Melo? You know, who's, who's what's happening next with this guy, that guy? I've kind of surprised myself that I've been able to maintain the energy to stay locked in on this. Um, it's been fun. This has been a fun season from the start of camp through the playoffs and the finals free agency and now we're just now taking our break you know, on the hang time podcast. We are taking a little break for the rest of August, be back the first week of September to get things cranked up for the 2018, 2019 season. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, let everybody know that not only is Sam Amick of USA Today Sports, a fantastic guest, one of our closest friends, you know, around the league and, and one of the best dudes ever. He and his partner have a great podcast that you need to check out as well, the A to Z podcast that he does with Jeff Z. He <laughs> works with him at, at USA Today. Tell Jeff I said what's up, even though he's a Spartan. I forgive him. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We will see you in a few weeks right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say kuna matata.